It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth, presented by Core Water. Hey, welcome into the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. Mark Schlereth alongside of Mike Evans, Scott the Hub, producing the show. Um, a great show, I mean, obviously, for you. we got to thank our presenting sponsor, the great folks over at Core Water. Hydratewithcore.com for more information. Core Water, I mean, delicious, obviously, award, crisp, winning taste. Um... Uh, perfectly balanced, 7.4 uh, pH balance to match your body's natural pH. And I'm telling you what, great way to hydrate, uh, whether you're working out, whether you're running, whatever you're doing, or just drinking water all day. Everybody needs to drink more water. Uh, hydratewithcore.com, available uh, at any place water is sold, 7-Eleven and every place else. So that's uh, hydratewithcore.com. Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Uh, tax day. Oh, yeah. But but different added significance uh, because April 15th, was the Russell Wilson imposed deadline to get a deal done. And and Mark, I I I never thought or I don't think it would happen, but there, there's a lot of smoke out there to the idea that could the Seahawks be thinking of trading Russell Wilson? I can't like I cannot imagine I mean first off, if if he was up for trade, I would have to believe there would be a line of teams just waiting to get Russell Wilson. I just can't even imagine you getting rid of Russell Wilson. And, and, and you know, don't don't give me the, hey, we're a great running team and we've always played really good defense and that we propped up Russell Wilson or that we can we caught magic in a bottle, you know, lightning in a bottle by, by drafting him in the third round years ago and we can do it again. We've got great evaluators. Don't, don't give me that baloney. You know, I did several games for Fox this year of Russell Wilson – and I'll tell you, the most amazing thing was Russell had less carries. He ran the ball less than he's ever run the ball at any point in his career. And the effect that he has on the running game is unreal. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that he fakes, like going around the outside edge, and he's running that zone read type of type of play, and he's looking at that defensive end, he's looking at that outside linebacker. Like those guys that play on the outside edge – whether it's D-end, whether it's linebacker, whether it's safety, they're, they're basically planted in concrete, Mike. They don't constrict the play. They don't squeeze it down. They are so concerned about Russell Wilson taking it around the edge and getting 12 yards that there is no constriction. So all the cutback lanes are just wide open because that defense doesn't squeeze. So he has this unbelievable effect. Even though he didn't run the ball. He's got this – I mean, I will – it's unreal how many times that big runs up the middle to the running back are just, I mean, they're ripping one off after the next after the next because everybody's so frightened of Russell. And he runs it one time a game. I mean, he, he barely runs it at all. But he still has a dramatic effect on the running game in Seattle. So if you think that, oh, we're just really good at coaching it up, and blah, no. That guy, that guy affects you know, all 11 on the defense. So the other thing about him that's really interesting, Mike, is is he's an unselfish, he's a, just an incredibly unselfish player. Like in a day and age where it's all about the passing game, I called a game against San Francisco where the Seahawks beat and they, they blew San Francisco out. It was in Seattle. And I think at halftime, Russell was like four of six for 150-some-odd yards and three touchdowns, something like that. I mean, it was crazy. Three, a couple long touchdowns. And I'm thinking to myself, what other quarterback in the league is okay with throwing it six times in a half? 
Like who who's not? And I, I'm I'm talking to not only Pete Carroll but also Brian Schottenheimer, who's the offense coordinator. And Schottie's just like, listen, man, this guy all he wants to do is win. He doesn't care if we ran it every play and he never threw it. He'd be okay with that as long as it resulted in a win. Like, where do you find that guy? So my response then to all of this is very simple. Why hasn't a deal been done? I mean, if he has all this effect on the game mm-hmm. and he's just unselfish, Seahawks know the benefits of Russell Wilson. They've reaped the benefits. They've won a Super Bowl. They've been to another one. So in a league in which teams are, are desperately searching for a quarterback right. and are willing to overpay quarterbacks, why are we at this point? That, I mean that that Mike is a great question. I I can't tell you. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, obviously, you know, when you start dealing with contracts, and we've seen Cam Chancellor get hurt, we've seen Earl Thomas essentially move, we've seen Richard Sherman move. Like they made a conscious decision that hey, we're going to break up the Legion of Boom because we got to pay Russell Wilson. But that was twenty million dollars a year. You know, are you ready to go to that? Where is where is Aaron Rodgers? Thirty some million dollars a year? Thirty one, thirty two? Are we ready to go there? Do we believe in him that much? And maybe they don't believe in him the going rate wise, and he's not taking a you know he's not going to take a hometown discount, nor should he. Is he? It, yeah, okay, that was going to be my follow up. Right. Is he a going rate quarterback in your mind? I think he's an elite level quarterback. Yeah. yeah. So I, whatever now, the I going rate is, you pay him. Yeah, I think it's he's worth. I think there's a difference. You know, I think there's a a, a difference um, because it, they're all they all do it differently. But you tell me, Mike. Like, literally, in the last four or five years, you tell me who's been that difference maker on the offense that Russell Wilson has played with that has just been like, boy, you can't cover that dude. Or, boy, mm-hmm. you know, don't let don't let that running back get in the open. Like, you know, it's been a while since Marshawn Lynch was beast mode. Right? It's been a, it's been a while since that time. So, you tell me offensively. He's had – uh, 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 there's been a philosophical approach in Seattle where we're going to play defensive players, but we're not going to pay anybody on the offensive line. I called a game. This is back when I was with ESPN. I called a game where Seattle was starting three guys on the offensive line that shouldn't be in the league, or at least at the very at the very most they should be their marginal backups, and they're starting. You know, it was funny because. Of their four starters from that year to the next year, of their five starters, excuse me, four of them were gone. And I think three of them weren't on rosters. There was one backup. I mean, it was it was unreal. And this is what they were putting in front of Russell Wilson because they had this philosophical approach in Seattle that what we're going to do is because the college game isn't actually developing offensive linemen, we're going to get a really good offensive line coach. Now, I'm biased because he was my teammate in college, Tom Cable, and we're going to give him a bunch of defensive line, a bunch of defensive players and athletes. So we're giving him defensive linemen that were college defensive linemen, and we're going to give him some basketball players. And now you go ahead and make offensive linemen out of them. And this way, in this way, we're not going to invest any money in that position because we believe in you so much that that you're going to be able to fix these guys. Well, ultimately, he ends up getting fired, and they go in a different direction. They've actually invested some assets into the offensive line now, 
it's, it's changed. They went out and got themselves uh, Mike Solari, who's an outstanding offensive line coach as well. But they've actually invested in uh, in guys like Dwayne Brown, and they invested first-round draft choices and things of that nature in the offensive line. So there was this philosophical approach that, oh, we could fix that part of it. And Russell makes enough plays back there behind the line of scrimmage that we can survive kind of subpar play there. See, I, I think you got to be careful because – there are a few NFL cities where teams and their fans feel really secure about not only where they're at right now with the quarterback, but the belief is, well, even if we had to move in a different direction, we'd be able to find another guy. And my note of warning to those fans and those cities is try living in a city and following a team where they don't have a quarterback mm-hmm. and haven't had a quarterback for a while and have whiffed on repeated attempts to find that quarterback, you, 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 should, you should talk to people who live on the other side of the tracks right. and see what it's like. Because if, if you are so naive or arrogant to think, well, we found Russell Wilson once, we'll go find another one. And we'll be able to start this whole process all over again where we find another guy, we don't have to spend a lot of money on him, we can build up the rest of our football team and he'll have a Russell Wilson-type career. Be careful. Be careful. Because if you're thinking that you can do that so easily, you could easily find yourself going a decade-plus wandering around the, the, the NFL desert looking for a quarterback. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because last year and last year's draft, everybody's saying this is the year to draft a quarterback. You know, there's five potential kind of quote-unquote, we, we joke around, you and I call them the Hall of Fame five all the time, but everybody was convinced all these guys are going to be, you know, going to be big time kind of uh, the next run of of elite level quarterbacks right and there's one guy that really had a good season an, an outstanding season that was Baker Mayfield the rest of them were you know guys by the way I'll let you finish that point do you, do you understand Baker Mayfield's total QBR as it ranked among all quarterbacks mm-hmm. he was the best of all the quarterbacks that were drafted last year you know where he ranked among total QBR in the NFL 24th really yeah yeah so I mean he was good I mean don't get me wrong I mean as far as we judge rookies rookies, he was he was he was good and and then but let's not put him in canon canon just yet yeah and then um and Lamar Jackson was was phenomenal run on the ball um he just is is completely inadequate when it comes to throwing the football I mean there's just no other way to put it I mean it's just it's bad so you know I mean I look at that now. Now, remember, going into this draft process, before this draft par- process started, this is going back to last football season. Everybody said that, hey, this is not the year, man. There's no good quarterbacks in this you know, this draft. Ooh, there's no good quarterbacks here. Oh, really? Because now all of a sudden Kyler Murray's going to go number one. You're going to get Daniel Jones in the first round. You're going to get uh, um, Drew Locke, Drew Locke in the first one. Dwayne Haskins in the first yeah. round. Probably somebody else is going to sneak up in the You'll first round. you probably have at least four, right? At least four, maybe five. And, and so, you know, and, and all of a sudden, and everybody just thinks that because you get drafted in the first round, you're automatically going to be, you know, a star. Like, you're going to fix our quarterbacking woes. You know, that's what they thought in Jacksonville when they took uh, Blaine Gabbert. Oh, that's what they thought in Jacksonville when they took Blake Bortles. Oh, that's what they thought, you know. I mean, we can go, we can play that game till we're blue in the face. All the, all the teams that thought they fixed their quarterbacking problems by taking a guy in the first round. Um, it's not, you know, it's not some magic potion it's not some you know magic elixir that fixes your franchise it's hard to find guys that get to this level and can play championship style football and you're still in a division where let's face it 
Arizona, that's a mess. And, and you know, I, I think they went Cliff Kingsbury. They're going to go Kyler Murray probably. I think it's only a matter of two years before they're finding another head coach there. And probably another quarterback, right. too. I mean, San if you look at the odds. And you look right now, San Francisco, they get healthy. I mean, they started a bunch of fourth-string wide receivers, a, a third-string quarterback last year. They don't have a defensive pass rushers. San Francisco is going to be a team that's going to shock people. They're going to get Jimmy Garoppolo back. They're going to improve. We know what the Rams have done, right, and, and the way they've represented the NFC in the Super Bowl last year. You think all of a sudden in that division you're just going to flip your quarterback and go get yourself a rookie and you're going to have a you're going to be competitive? You, you don't, you're not going to have a chance. Be you're, careful. Be careful, right. Seattle. That'd be my unsolicited Cautionary advice. tell. Be careful. Don't be so arrogant as to think you could just kick Russell Wilson to the curb and go find another one uh, just like him. Uh, speaking of the Rams, uh, Sean McVay came out recently and was very emphatic in, in defending Jared Goff, saying Goff is absolutely my man. Hey, whatever happened in the Super Bowl, that's as much on me, maybe even more so on me, than it is anything wrong with Jared Goff. What? Why? Why? Why does he feel the need to go out and and be so, you know, propping up uh, Jared Goff like this? Is there is there concern? You think that that the the the, the beatdown that occurred in the Super Bowl might linger? I no, I don't I don't think there's that. I think that this is a way because it's easy to look at your quarterback. It's easy for fans and people to look at the quarterback and say, "Well, he didn't play very well, so it's his fault." And I think this is the way and this is is something that I appreciate about Sean McVay. This is Sean McVay's way of saying, "No, no, 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 no. We're all in this thing together. My quarterback is fine and um I'll take responsibility for that loss." It's probably one of the worst coaching jobs since he got in the league. Since he became a head coach, I guarantee you he would sit down if he had you know a moment to sit down, and he'd be honest about this too. It was the worst coaching job of my career. That Super Bowl. Now, granted, injury issues. Who knew that Todd Gurley wasn't going to be able to answer the bell and he was going to turn the ball over? Like you, you thought you had a healthy running back. It changes your mentality, and they didn't do a great job, and he didn't do a great job of kind of figuring out what the Patriots were doing to him and adjusting what he was going to do. Maybe he shouldn't have been blowing kisses at Bill Belichick before the game. Hey, Mr. Belichick, I'm a big fan. Hey, Mr. Belichick, uh, I've admired you for so long. I mean, the guy was clearly had Belichick in his head before the game even started. Well, he, I mean, he got out coached by there's no shame in getting out coached by Bill Belichick. I mean, that, that No, list, but you got to admit that, that's a that's yeah. a bad look. That list that is that list audio is long. came out. You know, that list is long, man, and and I get it, and you're competing against him. And, you know, you had one team, and, I mean, you talk about classic matchup, Wade Phillips versus Bill Belichick, because Wade Phillips, defensive coordinator for the Rams, absolutely shut that offense down. And really the amazing thing was the adjustments. You know, the thing about playing football is you have to, or any sport for that matter, you've got to be able to understand that there are going to be times when everything you prepared for isn't working. And now – how how good are you on the fly? How smart are your players at, at adapting? How smart are your coaches at figuring out what's going on? And, and how good are you at in-game adjustments? See, I think what sets coaches apart, it's easy when everything that you game plan for falls directly into what happens. You know, I heard, you remember that Thursday night game when they took on the Minnesota Vikings? And 
the Rams just scored, I mean, a, a, a boatload of points. And, and they had a big play to Cooper Cup for 70-some-odd yards and the seam route to um, – the seam route to Todd Gurley that we got one-on-one coverage on the linebacker, Anthony Barr, and that was a touchdown. There was touchdowns all over the place where they got these matchups. And I'm talking to Jared Goff about this as I'm preparing to do a Rams game. And Jared's like, that's like that's like one game, like it's the first time in my career where everything the coach said happened identically to what was going to go on. This is what they're going to give us defensively. Here's how we're going to exploit it. He said, hey, we're sitting in there, and they're saying, hey, when we get down to the red zone, we're going to spread them out this way. They're going to show us a cover four shell. They're going to kick the coverage to take away the middle hole, and you're going to get Todd Gurley on the outside one-on-one with Anthony Barr, and we're going to hit the seam. Sure enough, they motion into it, They get, and it's exactly what happened. Jared Goff is the first time it's ever happened in my career. That's great game planning. Great coaching is when they don't do it. Now how do I adjust? What are they doing? And that's where, you know, that's where, frankly, Sean McVay didn't do a good job in, in that game. And I think he's taking pressure off of his quarterback because his quarterback is still a young player. You know, he's still an incredibly young player. And I promise you, I would love for my team to have a young quarterback with a bunch of great players that just ended up going to a Super Bowl, albeit a loss. I'd love to be in that position. How excited would you be if you're in Buffalo or you're in New York with the Jets or you're there with the Giants or, I mean, let's get in line if you're the Dolphins, if you're, come on, if you're the Bengals, right? I mean, you would you would sign up for that in a heartbeat. So I'm, I'm sitting there saying I think this is just another masterful job in many masterful jobs that Sean McVay has done in taking pressure off of his players and putting it on his coaching staff and himself. I, I'm, I'm going to pose. I'm going to pose to you a tough one. Okay, it's going to be a tough one for you. All right. Mm-hmm. Who is the bigger goat when it comes to his sport? Greatest of all time. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady in the NFL or Tiger Woods in golf? After what Tiger? Just accomplished. I'm, I, I have to tell you, that Masters was incredible. Um, it, it was just, it was a sight to see. And, and to Why? See, what made it so, because it's been, it's been, I loved it. I, I was as captivated as anybody, but the over the top emotion that people shared, saying how they felt. Mm-hmm. Grown men crying, you know, what? why? Why did this win resonate with people so much? Well, I, I think there's a lot of things, you know. I think we've seen Tiger um, over the years become human. Like he was, it was like straight out of Terminator. He was a cybernetic organism, like with no heart, no feelings, no nothing, right? And obviously, self-inflicted wounds. He blew himself up. He blew up his marriage. He did all those things. He, you know, he's guilty. He, he gets it. Um, he's accepted those responsibilities. To see him come back from all the injuries, like the latest, he talked to, I think it was Nick Foldo a couple years ago at the uh, Champions Dinner or whatever, and essentially said to him, I'm having this back surgery just so I can, so I can have light, so I can live. Not to, I'm done. He's like, I'm done with golf. I can't play anymore. 
I just need to get my just to the point where I'm not in pain. As, as a guy who suffered, you know, had L5, S1, herniated both sides of that disc, had that operated on, had lived in for 20-some years with excruciating back pain, still have back pain every single day. I've managed it better, um, but I still have it every day. To, to understand your limitations, to see all those things come to fruition. I'll tell you, my wife and I were actually emotional about it because of our son's journey. Like my son has had so many injury issues. He's 32 years old, and baseball has basically said, pound sand, we don't want you anymore. And it's a frustrating thing for us because he's probably throwing the ball better than he's ever thrown the ball. Better than when he was in the big leagues. But because of his age and because of his injury issues in history, like he's always like, my spin rate's great, my curveball's great, my velocity's really good. Like, how come I can't get a job? I go, because you're looking at the wrong numbers. The numbers baseball's looking at is you're 32 and you've been on the DL for five straight years. And so to watch that happen, to watch Tiger overcome four back surgeries and to be at the pinnacle on the greatest golf course in the world and to win the championship, like it gave us hope. Like, hey, I'm like texting my son like, hey, man, there's hope. See, th- th- and I'm glad you you framed it that way because I think the whole bit about, well, this guy had become a pariah and, you know, mm-hmm. he had become an outcast and we this is further proof about how we like to build somebody up and then tear him down only to cheer his rising from the ashes again. I thought that was a... That that whole angle is very melodramatic, overdramatic. Mm-hmm. It, it it to me this is more. Tiger was never really on the outs. I mean, yeah, in the immediate aftermath, a few sponsors dropped him, and there was some backlash. But make no mistake, people miss Tiger. Right. Okay. It wasn't like Tiger was still healthy playing golf, and people had turned their back on him because of the scandals and the and the, yeah. and the addictions and the infidelity and everything like that. It was he, he couldn't play anymore and mm-hmm. and people missed him. Okay, so let let's separate the two. This wasn't so much about the look at what he overcame in his personal life. This was more we thought he was done. And we had given up on the idea that we were ever gonna see him play like that again. So to see him back out there and know what he's come back from, that I think is the part that that people really were drawn to. That a guy who had you know, more money they could ever spend and could have easily just walked away and said, hey, look, let's get the surgery. Let's just make sure I can have some quality of life. But instead, he kept grinding. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy was like, at this time last year, he was like 1,200th ranked in the world. I mean, this, I mean, talk about being humbled. And he was willing to just grind and work his way back. Why? Because, as he said in an interview I saw with Tom Rinaldi from ESPN, he goes, look, he goes, this is what I love. That's what I love to do. And and to me, what I like, Mark, is the idea that no matter how famous you get, no matter how much money you make, no matter how much you enjoy the trappings of the sport you play, that when you strip it all away, you're, there's still that fundamental love of the game that you had when you were a kid and you were a nobody trying to work your way up. And and for Tiger to sort of reveal that, that's the part that drew me. Yeah, in. It's the it's the human part. I think CBS did a great job when they showed you know him winning the the Masters for the first time in '97, embracing his father, and then going back and flashing to 
current day yep. where he wins the Masters and embraces his son. And yeah. there's three generations Tremendous. of pictures. Just incredible. Um, and, and I'm I'm 100% with you. I mean, it was just a phenomenal, Mike. It was just absolutely phenomenal to watch that whole thing um, just unfold. And the human nature of the story. Like, he's post, post-tournament talking about how he talked to his daughter who was playing in some soccer tournament that they lost, some state soccer tournament. And this is on Saturday and goes, hey, do you want to come watch the Masters tomorrow? You know, like there's a human element. And I always respect guys who have achieved a ton that have, like you said, they have more money than they know what to do with. I mean, like, hey, do you want to come watch the Masters? Daddy will send his private plane and come get you, right? The rest of us don't live that way. But, you know, that's he's earned that, and I'm okay with that. But to have all that money, to have all that celebrity, to have all that fame, to not need the sport – the sport needs you more than you need it. And to still have the desire to be 700th ranked in the world and say, screw it, I'm going to keep fighting for what I believe and what I love and what and the thing that I've loved since I was a kid, like that's incredible. And there's this love-hate relationship, I know it from playing football, where I love it. It's the lifeblood that courses through my veins. At the same time, sometimes I hate it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm going through the injuries and I'm doing those things and I'm fighting but that's the game within the game that keeps you motivated, that keeps you going, Mike. And I just think all those things kind of happened in this perfect, you know, here in Denver we had that, what they call that snowstorm we had, the bomb cyclone. Bomb cyclone, yeah. It was this perfect bomb cyclone that happened on, on Master Sunday that was phenomenal to watch. I mean, look at the respect, all the guys that hung out, you know, waiting for Tiger to finish his round so they could just be a part of it. Just say, hey, congratulations, man. You're the one that got me into the sport. Yep. You're the one that made me want to be a professional golfer. So just to pay their respects, that that to me was absolutely awesome. Great event. It was a great event. A great event that's coming up, NFL Draft is coming up. I want to give you a prediction because I thought about this yesterday as I was watching golf and kind of doing some draft prep stuff and looking at some players. And, you know, there's all this talk about Dwayne Haskins falling and, you know, and, and not being as good and what the Giants are going to do. And um, Mr. Mayor come out, came out, the Giants owner came out and, and essentially said, you know, we'll take a quarterback if the value is there. Which was telling to me that this organization doesn't necessarily feel like the value is there at the quarterback position. So here's what I think is going to happen. Are you ready? Yeah. This is what I think is going to happen. I think at number six, the Giants are going to take a player. Okay. So it's going to be a guy like Christian Wilkins, or it's going to be a guy like um, TJ Hawkinson, or Rashawn Gary, or maybe Jawan Taylor. Somebody, um, kind of a line of scrimmage difference maker, front seven guy, because that's their general manager. Dave Gettleman is a front seven, build it from the inside out guy. So you're going to give, you're going to go get somebody that can help you immediately. Okay. I believe that's what they're going to do there. And then here's my prediction, sure to go wrong. <laughs> they got the 17th overall pick from Cleveland for the OBJ trade. Okay. I think they're going to trade with the Denver Broncos Ooh. at 10. So they'll they'll swap first-rounders, and the Broncos will amass whatever else it is they amass from that trade and go down to 17. Okay. And at that point, because there's nobody that really needs a quarterback. I mean, Arizona – for all intents and purposes, they're going to take Kyler Murray, right? And then it's going to be, you know, Nick Bosa going to San Francisco, and it's going to fall, you know, with Quentin Williams and Josh Allen and some of these other guys. Like, I look at this, Oakland, if they don't get 
Kyler Murray. If they don't make a deal for Kyler Murray, they're not going quarterback. Tampa is not going quarterback. The Jacksonville Jaguars aren't going quarterback. They're set. The Detroit Lions aren't going quarterback. The Buffalo Bills got their quarterback last year, right? So Denver is the next one in line. And there's talk about Cincinnati at 11 wanting a quarterback, about Miami at 13 needing a quarterback, about Washington at 15 possibly needing a quarterback. So the team that makes the most sense to trade up into their position is the Giants trade up with Denver, number 10 overall, and they take all the quarterbacks will be there. They'll have their choose their choice to, to choose whether it's Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke or whoever the case may be to be Eli Manning's understudy and do what essentially the Kansas City Chiefs did with um, – with their their quarterback Alex situation, Smith, Alex Mahomes. Smith, Mahomes. Patrick so what you're saying is they still so they still get their quarterback at ten, mm-hmm. where, where it, it it would it would be in their minds the proper place to take a quarterback. That right. if you take a quarterback at six, you're truly overdrafting. Right, and and because you've got so many other holes to fill, that at six you're going to get yourself a difference, a difference maker, a. a a front seven offensive line difference maker at six. Somebody that's instantly going to impact your football team. Where at six, your quarterback is not going to impact your football team because you've already committed to Eli. So at 10, you get your quarterback. He's in training under Eli. And at six, you get a difference maker in that, kind of like I said, that that inside-out line of scrimmage difference maker that the Giants desperately need. That's my prediction. That's what's going to go down on draft day. All right. I love it. All right. Look at you. Making predictions. I love it. Sure to go wrong. Sure to go wrong. That's it for us here at the Stinky Truth Podcast. Thank our presenting sponsor, Core Water. Find out more at hydratewithcore.com. For Mike, for Scott, I'm Mark. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you guys later on in the week.